0: Welcome back to Ask the Compound, where our audience is getting smarter. It's kind of like the alien in the movie, you know, where it's, like, evolving over time and getting smarter. They know how to ask questions to pull my little heartstrings. They know which questions I'm going to answer. So we got some today that I swear we're just... It's like the Ben AI chatbot. Like, we know which what Ben's going to pick here. Well, we if have,
1: you start off with love, of you guys, you've immediately got my attention, you know?
0: So we have a doc full of, I don't know, 100 questions still that we haven't gotten to. We try to get to them all, but... We get new ones every week, and then we have the old ones, and some of them just, we got some good ones this week. So show at gmail.com if you want to email us. This morning in my email inbox, I got a January financial report from Rocket Money, who's the sponsor of the show today. So how much I spent last month, the percentage change from what I normally spend, the largest transaction, which I think was uh, plane tickets maybe, and the percentage of income that I spent. Right? Here's your income, how much you brought in, here's how much you spent as a percentage. And it also shows the biggest category changes in spending. So travel, shopping, eating out, et cetera. Was it higher or lower from the month before? Pretty cool. So Rocket Money is the personal finance app that lets you find and cancel your unwanted subscriptions, monetize your spending, helps you lower your bills. Five million users on Rocket Money and it's saved members an average of $720 a year, over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's even more money than I've saved on my cable bill over time. Stop wasting money on the things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash ATC. For ask the compound, that's rocketmoney.com slash ATC. Click the link on YouTube.
1: I love Rocket Money.
0: Duncan, everyone wanted to know why you're not wearing a suit today. You know Duncan and I were at the New York Stock Exchange the other day, and he put me to shame because he wore a suit and tie. He's I, I walk into the office, I'm wearing a sweater and a nice, nice, you know, I, I don't wear a tie anymore. I gave up on it in in COVID. I just decided to ties her. I think I threw them all away. Uh, you looked very fashionable. I had a sport coat on, but you put me to shame because you had this people thought you worked on Wall Street. No hat, you had your hair slicked back. Very nice.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Uh yeah, my my hair was was probably not very uh, dressy, but yeah. I'm my wardrobe is binary. I have like flannels and then I have a suit. So it's like I don't really have many in-betweens. It's kind of like yeah, it's either I'm dressed up or I'm not dressed up.
0: It's like my portfolio. It's a barbell.
1: It is funny, though. Someone on the train started talking to me the whole way back about equity swaps, for real. So <laughs> I've walked to the part, I guess, you know?
0: Yes. You. Yeah, Layman Brothers or something. All right. Questions?
1: Yeah. Oh, first, before we uh, dive into that, I was going to say a little cross-promotion. Everyone should check out Ben's blog, Wealth of Common Sense. Um, I have loved this thing you wrote, 17 Thoughts About Money. Uh, I just wanted to share a couple of them. That's all really good. Um, yeah. The second one, you have money can't buy happiness is something only rich people say. So that's true. true. It people with crazy. money say that. Right, exactly. Yes. People always say that. And I mean, what they mean is money's not going to be the thing that makes you happy just having yeah, it's money. it's not going to
0: fill a hole. Right,
1: and that's true. But yeah, like only only wealthy people say. it can <laughs> make
0: your life a lot easier though.
1: Right, no one no one's happy when they're worried about how they're going to pay their next bill or you exactly. know, that kind of thing. Um, the other one I really liked was... Uh, True money contentment comes from accepting people dumber than you will be richer than you. That, you know, yeah, you just have to get over that. Sometimes right. people are going to make a bunch of money on some cryptocurrency that you missed and you just have to kind of be okay with it.
0: Circumstances, luck, whatever it is, you can't let that grate at you because there's it's, it's like the thing, someone's always going to be smarter than you. I always say that about investing. The same thing with, it's like the opposite with money is there's someone dumber than you. Like, how is that person so much richer than me? And guess what? You just have to live with it. It yeah, happens.
1: It's wife. And then uh, I also like number eight. Most problems that can be solved using money aren't real problems. And you go on to say how it's nothing compared to like a health scare or things like that. But yeah, stuff that really put fix. it into perspective. Yeah. Yes, and then, I then last but not least, I really loved the uh, number 16. People who act like they have it all figured out are usually full of shit. I think that's, that's true. Yeah, most people would agree with that. So yeah. Good list. Yes. Because the, because the truth is no one has it figured
0: out. Right. Even I don't care how well-wruced you are or smart you are. No one has it all figured out.
1: Very true. Good post, though. I like that. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Let's do a question.
1: All hey, right. Up first, today, we have a question from David. We want to start investing in a college account for our new granddaughter with regular deposits. Is 60-40 the best approach for a college account? That's what we would do on Reflex, but wanted to get your thoughts. Sounds simple, but if that's the answer, what's in the 60 and what's in the 40? And should it be passive or actively managed in some way like simple rebalancing annually? And this, this actually I, raised a question I was going to follow up with you on. Is it considered active if you just rebalance annually?
0: No, that's 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 part of your allocation. Okay. I mean, whatever. Every decision is active if you want to really split hairs here. I, but I love where David's head is at here. I'm not going to lie. I gave some not-so-subtle hints to my parents and the in-laws that, you know, hint, hint, wink, wink. You know, you don't have to buy toys all the time. We can also do 529 contributions, and that, that was made clear. And it's very easy, actually. The Michigan 529 plan makes it easy for someone to gift – a 529 contribution. And and obviously, I I have three kids. Putting them through college is not going to be cheap. Plus, we have twins who will be attending at the same time. And I think my oldest daughter will be a senior when the twins are freshmen. So we'll have three kids in college at the same time. And the grandparents have come through. Our provider at Michigan, um, they have a bunch of different investment options. Now, you can pick those investment options yourself, which is easy. Some people just pick a simple total stock market index. Ours is mostly index funds. A lot of it depends on what state you're from. So I would first check with your own children to see if they have a 529 plan set up in the first place. Maybe they've already made elections for investment options. Um, but if not, we all know I'm a big target date fund guy, right? We practice what we preach in the compound. I invest in index funds and target date funds. Duncan invests in stocks that fall 98%. Sometimes. Now.
1: Sometimes so you miss- go up to Sometimes go up to <laughs> That's
0: true. Depends when you start. Uh, so. The Michigan 529 plan has these investment options that are based on the year the child will be starting school. And it's just a target date fund. And so it, I think the, I looked at the Michigan options and they range from like 80-20 to f- like twenty eighty. And I looked at the one for my daughter. She's gonna be 10 this year, which is mind boggling. This is something all parents have to say. Like I can't believe how quickly the time went. It's also true. And I think hers is 60-40. And it's a mix of US stocks, international stocks, uh, Reits, tips, total bond market fund, and corporate bonds. It's, so it's pretty well diversified. It rebalances automatically, and it also has the glide path where it slowly gets more uh, conservative as you get closer to the age. So I like that option that it just does it for me. So it's 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 an active thing, but it's got the glide path. You could always make it more risky if you wanted to go further out, like pick a year that's further away, more conservative if you want to pick a year that's closer, but that's the thing for me that would be easiest. You don't have to get in there and tinker, especially if it's going to be for your granddaughter. You don't want to be like, try to actively manage this. That way, you know, when, when they're there, she's at college age, it's going to be relatively conservative. So the money's there to be spent. So I like that option, but yeah, talk to your kids first. It's not the perfect option. Of course you could say, well, there's ways to do better. But the beauty of it is it's automated, it's simple, it's well diversified. Michigan probably has a top quartile 529 plan. So I, I would check which state you're in or your granddaughters in to make sure they have similar offerings. But that's that's what I do. And I think it's easy. That's a big part of it to me.
1: I didn't realize that they changed state by by state. Yeah, depending on this, which kind of stinks. It should be,
0: they should have the same all over. But Morningstar does these rankings where they do like gold, silver, bronze. I don't know, coal for the worst ones. But Michigan's probably, yeah, it's like a silver. So it's it's, it's pretty good. But some states are better than others.
1: Not really uh, a thing that where it pays off for the risk of picking a bunch of risky yeah, stocks or things. Yeah, I don't, I things, don't think right? you want
0: to go out on a limb. But but this sort of thing, that I mean, as far as your grandchildren are concerned, that, that's a great gift. I That's the gift that keeps on giving.
1: Yeah, though you right? can't roll it around on the ground like a cool car or something, you know?
0: When they're walking down the aisle someday getting their – with their tassel and gown on, they'll be thankful. When Fair those enough. student loans aren't as big. All right. Next question.
1: All right. Up next, we have uh, – I like this question. This is a cool, cool question. This is the
0: one. The, this person put this question in specifically for me.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. No, they, they know their audience. Uh, I work in the construction industry, and I'm always trying to spread a little financial literacy to my coworkers. Whenever I see a young guy getting ready to drop $70,000 on a new pickup, I try to show them what that money could become if they invested in index funds instead. I like to call it sequence of spending risk. Of course, this rarely works, so I thought having experts comment could help. Maybe you could come up with a chart or graphic that could explain how delaying spending could have a big impact on future wealth.
0: I love the question because it hits on so many. I was born for this question, basically. Expensive trucks, compound interest, young people making terrible financial decisions. And I love the way that Jim put it here, the sequence of spending risk. Right. I don't want Good to phrase. spend shame people and say, you shouldn't buy this $70,000 truck. If you can afford it, fine, but especially when you're young, that makes a huge, huge difference, especially if you're not saving that much. So, I've written a number of posts over the years about excessive spending on trucks and SUVs. So, I, I asked if the Ford F-150 is partially responsible for the retirement crisis. Mm-hmm. I think I, I wrote
1: a Right. For, w- for people new here, Ben Ben hates big vehicles and expensive vehicles. So an expensive truck is just like, you know, that's the worst.
0: I don't hate them. <laughs> I just hate them for certain people. All right. I'm again I'm not a fan of spend shaming unless you're spending way too much and you're not saving any money. This and is if the, you
1: if you take up too many parking spots.
0: Listen, the two biggest fixed expenses you have are housing costs and transportation for most people, right? It's not the lattes. It's not the brown bag lunches. It's not the it's not Netflix streaming services. It's the big expenses. And if you lock yourself into a four figure car payment for a truck because you want to be cool and it makes you feel better, I can't get on board with that. Okay, so I poked around a little bit and I found new car loan rates like six percent, probably six seven, depending on your your FICO score. Financing a seventy thousand dollar truck, no down payment, over five years at six percent. That's a monthly payment of thirteen hundred and fifty dollars. That's an obscene amount of money for young. That's, that sounds like I, a lot. I, I love the, the, the way that they frame this because they say young people, right? This is a person who's a little wiser, understands saving. They know that that's a ridiculously high monthly payment, especially for a young person because of the opportunity cost. So let's, say, let's just say instead of that Ford F-150 or Dodge Ram, you got yourself a reasonably priced SUV, say like a Ford Explorer, Chevy Trailblazer. Now we're talking 30, 35 maybe. That cuts it in half. And let's be honest, if you're a young person, you don't need all the bells and whistles in a car. You don't need the sunroof. You don't need the leather seats. You don't need the heated steering wheels. Although heated steering wheel in Michigan in the winter! I gotta say, is one of the best inventions of the past, however long it's been around for. I'm, I'm new
1: to that. I'm new to that life. My <sighs> our new vehicle has heated steering wheel. I love it. That's great. The nice. thing is,
0: you get once you get those things, you are you are that becomes a necessity, not a desire anymore. So once you get it, there's no going back. So just take away all the amenities at first, right? So if you cut it in half, go from 70 to 35, now we're talking like $675 a month in savings. It's eight grand a year, $40,000 over the life of the loan. I also looked at, what what, what about a smaller truck? John, show a picture here before we get to this table. This is the Ford Maverick. Let's say, okay, listen, I'm in construction. I do need a truck, Ben. Okay, do you really need the biggest truck though? This is a Ford Maverick. You know what this MSRP is for the Ford Maverick? What it starts at? 25K, okay? Monthly payment goes from $1,350 to $500 a month. Now I'll show my table, John. So I've shown three different options. The souped-up truck, $1,350 a month. The SUV, $675 a month. Then the small truck at $25,000 uh, $25, for the truck and like $500 a month. You're saving 10 dollars in a year and $51,000 over the life of a loan for a smaller truck, right? Now, Let's do the personal finance thing. Now, let's say you take these monthly savings, right, on both of these prices. You cut it in half, or you cut it even further. Let's say you save seventy-five percent of monthly payments, right? Not the whole thing. You can blow the rest. Do whatever you want. You're a young person. Here's what those savings look like in the stock market over thirty years, seven percent on that. John, show the chart. Uh, Actually, give me the other chart, the next one. Okay, so this is what happens if you make the if you just keep that lower-priced car and keep the spread for thirty years, right? You save that spread every year for 30 years. Now we're talking, you know, high six figures, six hundred dollars to $800,000 range, pretty eye-opening, right? But let's be honest, that's probably not realistic. If you're a big truck person, you're going to want a big truck eventually, regardless of what the spreadsheets say. So John, show my next chart. What if you just save for the five years? So 25, you know, you don't need that big souped-up truck, get the Maverick, and then after five years when you're 30, then you do it. So just you save the difference for five years, one period of the loan, right? Then you can buy your truck that'll pull a 747 down the runway, okay? This is just one-time deal. You save 75% of the difference for just five years and let it grow. Now we're talking about the difference between that SUV or a Ford Maverick and you're saving something like 200, dollars $250,000 over 30 years. This is the money chart, right? Just one loan period. So hold off on the big truck for five years. Drive a used car or a smaller truck or an SUV for five years. And then once you're in a better situation and maybe you're making more money, then you can get it. Right. So that's the idea. These are the graphs that he should show his young people that, yeah, you fine, get it eventually. You don't need it now. Um, listen, I, I just think, especially for young people, if you're someone who's saving money and you have your, your budget prioritized and you want that $70,000 truck, who am I to tell you not to get it? But if you're a young person, you're not saving and you're not allowing compounding to do that heavy lifting for you. I say, you know, of course, the, the the hard part is you you can't simply buy a lower cost vehicle. You have to save the difference, right? So I would just automate those savings. You know, a a six figure Roth IRA in thirty years is going to do a lot more heavy lifting for you than a Ford F one hundred and fifty, right? Boom. I, and I've got to say,
1: that. I'm not trying to trigger anyone, but I see a lot of fancy, expensive trucks, and they don't have a single scratch or a drop of mud on them. And I'm just I'm just saying, I don't really think you need a truck. You know, I, the,
0: and this this guy is in construction, and he's saying these. Other construction workers don't need it. You don't, right. and not everyone need, you know, needs the brand new top of the line. That's all I'm saying. Just yeah. do it for five years these, and let that money well, grow on your- These
1: fancy oh. trucks, they're nice. They're like luxury vehicles, you know, like they're really fancy yes, inside. I think a lot of people don't are. understand that. Lo- that's what you're paying a lot for in a lot of these cases, right?
0: Yes. You're paying as much for a big truck as you are for a luxury vehicle. That, that's the thing. It, the, the payment is so huge. So I'm not saying, you know, scrimp for the rest of your life. Do it for at least the first first one you get. You know, trade right. down a little bit yeah, and let that money grow. Don't, don't get used to it because once you get used to it, there's no going back.
1: And just be okay with the fact that you might end up in a situation where you can't tow a train out of the way or something, you know? and
0: That's true. Uh, Call one of your buddies who <laughs> is not as financially sound as you. You can bail him out of a financial hole. He can bail you out of a literal hole. There you go. All right, next question.
1: Okay, up next we have a question from Sam. My wife is a physician, and we're 37, uh, and we're in the 37% tax bracket. While treasury yields are currently excellent, I'm struggling to figure out how treasuries and bonds make sense for us in the near term, given the tax implications and a brokerage account. After taxes, 5% treasuries would yield us about 3.1%, barely keeping up with inflation. Outside of pure safety, why wouldn't I just invest in an already safe index fund and enjoy the 7% annual gains and take the 20% capital gains rate? or just hold until we no longer have any income.
0: All right. A lot of tax stuff here. I want to tackle this with the investing side of things, but let's bring in not only your tax advisor, my tax advisor, Bill Sweet. We oh, were on the Sweet. phone today. Bill was working out some tax stuff for me. I was. Uh, he's a magician.
2: I'm always on the clock. <laughs> and I <true>. uh, <laughs> wanted to welcome you guys to the month of February, too. I, I think February is the worst month of the year, but it's an honest month because it's a month that doesn't hold up life any better than it really is. Where's at the top of your month power rankings, Duncan?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's it's definitely on the lower end.
2: Isn't it's it a leap year, though? It's a leap year. That's kind of cool. It is. It's a long month. Yeah, making it even worse. I would put May on the top and February at the bottom. That's my that's the mind list. Yeah. This is for, the kind of stuff you talk about when you're a middle-aged dad. For the audience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, good, right, thing, no. good thing
1: good they're not changing any tax walls waiting to the game or yeah, anything, right? Yeah,
2: there was so. not a bill that passed the House last night at 8.37 p.m. And the Senate's yeah. gonna. And the crazy thing is, it's retroactive. Uh, but that was not Sam's question here. Uh, so right. yeah, you're gonna have to give us a rundown of that eventually. I
0: didn't quite get all the details, but so I guess the way it works is your age max, matches your tax bracket, according to Sam. Not mm-hmm. really. We talked before about the differences in different types of bonds for tax tax purposes, right? Yes. The tax ramifications, muni bonds versus treasuries versus corporates, that sort of thing. Now we're looking at treasury bonds versus taxes. Mm-hmm. And y- you, you obviously know this, but make the case here for why t- stocks are so much of a better tax-deferred vehicle than bonds if we're investing in a brokerage account.
2: Yeah. So to put things into perspective, uh, Sam and his wife—they're thirty-seven, to thirty-seven percent tax bracket. That's the top. Tax bracket. So these are folks earning more than $600,000 a year. Uh, God bless them. You know, that there's a lot of work that goes into so that. So when he uh, said my wife is a physician, that was the not to brag. Yeah, that was a definitely not to brag in the tax bracket, too. Uh, so the, the, but the question Sam is kind of getting at is like, look, these treasury yields at 5%, they're really tasty, right? Like, gee, that the, compared to two years ago, compared to any point uh, since 1985, 1987, that's a really good yield on a, on a, what the, the market considers a risk free rate of return, right? A 30 day T bill. Uh, however, uh, what 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 Sam's pointing out is like, look, my tax rate, uh, the IRS is taking more than two-thirds, or excuse me, one-third of this of this income, right? And so it's after tax rates only 3%. I would agree. And, and that happens across the tax spectrum, right? So for somebody, Ben, earning $50,000 a year, their ordinary income rate is 12%. Their capital gains rate is zero. For somebody earning 150 k it's 22% ordinary, 15% capital gains. So there's still a 7% advantage there for capital gains. And even at higher income ranges, it, it goes from 37% to 24%, right? So you're still with a large 13% gap where you're getting a better effective tax rate on capital gains and things like tax-qualified dividends over ordinary income. And so Sam is going down the right path. Uh, the real benefit, though, Ben, is not just in tax rates, but it's in deferral. So if you have it a- It is the tre- compounding, right? Correct. If you have a treasury that you're owning in a brokerage account, in a non-qualified account, you're paying that tax today in 2024- uh, on that earnings v- relative to a capital gain that's getting deferred. I don't know, Ben, if it's exactly apples to apples, right? I don't know if you would compare a compound annual growth rate to a stock compared to a treasury yield. You know, the treasury yield is basically guaranteed by the full faith and credit of the United States government, whereas we don't know what the next five, 10 years of stocks are going to yield. Uh, we do know the dividend rate so we can approximate it but that's really the big gap is that really you get you get to defer on the tax versus paying the tax now right which is one of the reasons that those tax
0: deferred retirement vehicles are so nice you have to pay the taxes eventually if it's not a roth but you're allowing the compounding to happen you don't have to pay taxes on the dividends every year you don't have to pay taxes if you rebalance that sort of thing
2: yep, um, yep. so you're my exactly question right.
0: yeah my question is how how often do you let the tax tail wag the investment portfolio dog because I get that from a taxable perspective. Stocks look way better. But does that mean that you should just shun bonds altogether because the, the yields are going to be lower on an after-tax basis uh, and you go 100% stocks? I, I don't know. I, I think the investing you know, side of the equation should probably have a say here too,
2: correct? Yeah. Yeah, 100 percent In fact, that, that's probably the, the end of this story. And that's how I would argue it through Sam. I would let, look at, hey, this is an investment opportunity. I'm going to own this. Like, think about top-down asset allocation. And Ben, Ben, you and I do this for a living. You would fail your CFP or CFA exam if you tried to, you know, hand jam based on where the current interest rates are. You would decide: look, I want to own treasuries, right? I want to own stocks. Where does it make sense to own those? And I think what I would flip the argument in his head, Sam, is say, look, it would make more sense for me if I have a high income, which Sam and his wife do, and I'm earning income, I'm rebalancing, blah, blah, blah. I would want to own ordinary income devices in tax-deferred accounts, right? Because the yields are great. We want to own that somewhere. But you want that in a tax-deferred structure anyway, because then you get the higher yields in a tax-deferred account versus owning stocks and other tax-qualified assets in non-qualified accounts. Where you don't have to pay the tax now because of the deferral outside of dividends, and then you can pick and choose when you want to pay your tax. So think about this top down from, an ad, from a portfolio allocation, not bottom up from this is a good investment. And I'm also, where
0: it. when do you need to spend the money? If it's just some people need to own bonds or cash because it's an emotional hedge, and they can't stand the vol- they can't take the volatility of the stock market, so they need to have something else that that takes that volatility down a notch. Other people, it's more for spending needs, and do you do you have goals coming up that you need to spend yep. that money? So. I have money in an online savings account and some T-bills, and I know that, that that stuff is not nearly as tax efficient, and it's not going to give me the same return over the long run as a stock market, but I don't care because it's there when I need to spend the money. Yep. That's what you have to think about first is, is that money going to be there when I need to spend it?
2: Yep, and you, you skip to the point that I wanted to end on, which is the, these types of vehicles are great if you're spending your money today, right? If you're in distribution phase, you want this high yield, you want this high income, because the dollars are going out the door anyway. Uh, you you probably do not want this type of income if if you have a high savings rate, right? Right, yeah. He final calls point. index funds safe, but it's, it's, it's relative. They're still Correct. risky in Correct. the short term for sure. Correct, and final point for me, you do get a state tax advantage with treasuries, as we discussed on Ask the Compound 92. Right. Was that a real number or did you make it the, up? I just made it up. Okay. Totally I was clear. about to say, Close wow, up. you got a good memory. That's you it. got me. Uh, you guys are supposed to play along. Okay. <laughs> Close
0: enough. <laughs> All right. Next question.
1: All right. Up next, we have a question from Benjamin. I'm considering maxing out 401k and IRA contributions for my wife and I. My employer contributes to an ESOP. Uh, you're going to have to remind me what that stands for.
0: Uh, Employee stock option plan.
1: That's it. And profit sharing programs as well. I have a coworker who claims there is a maximum amount of contributions for deferred compensation and tax-advantaged retirement accounts. Consequently, he avoids contributing to his IRA in case his total contributions end up being too high when combined with 401k, ESOP, profit sharing, and other deferred comp programs the company has for high earners. Is there any such maximum?
0: See, Bill, I always complain about this to you, that we should just have one big pooled maximum for everyone. But there's all these different accounts and moving pieces and 401k limits and IRA limits. And then there's income limits on the IRAs. And then you have uh, SEP IRAs and individual 401ks and employee stock option plans. OK, so who's right here, Benjamin or the coworker? Because I feel like you have to settle that debate first.
2: Yeah, I, I think so. And I want to talk about a really interesting policy proposal kind of at the end. But I, I think uh, the answer to Benjamin's question is it's super duper complex. I, I think that's, that's where we would land this. Um, Duncan, ESOP is an employee stock ownership plan. And in these types of things, integrated with a 401k plan, there are a bunch of limits to keep in mind. Limit number one, there's a $23,000 402G salary deferral limit that each person can put into a 401k each year. And then there's a $69,000 this year, 415C limit. And those are the the interplay between those two limits is very, very important. The 415, the 69,000, that is a hard cap, Ben. You cannot exceed that on a per employee basis, or you have to distribute the money to the employee's benefit. And ESOPs, an employee stock ownership plan, is this really funky hybrid of equity, company stock, and retirement vehicles. And the total company contributions cannot exceed that sixty nine thousand, which also includes the four hundred two G salary deferral limit. So the employee is correct. You kind of do need to know this stuff in advance. Unfortunately, most companies don't close their books until the following tax year. you right; when it's too late to do a 402g limit, my general advice would be: contribute up to the maximum anyway, because the company's going to match it or not. You're just going to get the money back if it's too much. Um, but I do want to give Ben point here uh, here at the end, and and that's the IRA limits don't have anything to do with these complicated 402, 415c limits. So the IRA's got nothing to do with it in my equation.
0: All right. And so if we're if we're doing IRA plus 401k, plus the SEP limit, we're pushing 100k.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that's not including
0: any company match for the 401k.
2: If you balance it all together, right? And and just very confusingly, a SEP IRA doesn't follow the IRA rules. It does for distribution purposes, but not for contribution purposes. So you're even bringing a third animal into this. It's kind of crazy to me that they
0: give business owners such a Bigger break on the contribution limits. Why is it so much higher? Is this just I, a who,
2: who knows? Yeah, I don't. I don't have a good answer. I think it's just the way that the tax code developed over time, and these limits were much much smaller. And as they've compounded in inflation, and, and Congress has tried to incentivize retirement savings, they've gotten bigger. Right. But, but speaking of inflation, that's
0: that's been a positive inflation as these contribution limits have moved up quite a bit in the last few years. Right.
2: That's true. Fair point. Yeah, so, especially if you compound over the last twenty. Um, but yeah, but uh, at the end of the day. I think I would like look at this all in, again, totality and say, look, what 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 can I control here? You can control your own savings rate. You probably should fund the retirement vehicle and, and don't let that door close. And again, in the worst case scenario, your company, oh, no, your company contributes $69,000 to a retirement account on your, on your behalf. That's a great problem to have. You're just going to take the 23K out, get a distribution, and then spend it as you see fit. I think that's a great problem to have. Okay,
1: personally. that's what I was about to ask you. Who Whose job is it to keep track of this? Is the employer issuing this, keeping track of limits? Or you just, as the individual, have to keep a tr- keep track of all this?
2: Yeah, no, the plan sponsor would, Duncan. The plan sponsor, whoever's okay. running the plan. And yeah, there are some very high-income high high, high, high income people who get paid to do all this math and, and, and to give you the answer. And
0: the reason people want to max these things out, if they can, is because of the tax deferral we talked about in the last question.
2: Correct, yep. Yep, yep. So, so it's a big deal, and it's a good, it's a good problem to have. But yeah, I would fund your IRA separate from any of this because IRAs they, they don't they don't come into this company limits. All
1: right,
2: Perfect. Good to know. All right. Next one. Cool.
1: Okay. So last but not least, we got a nice short one. We have a nine year old and a six month old. Do I need two individual five twenty nine accounts for them since they are pretty far apart? I was wondering if we can use the same account for both of them.
2: All right. This is
0: a quick answer, so you do give it, and then I got a follow up for you.
2: Yeah, shoot. So the answer is, yeah, you can just use the same account during the during the accumulation phase, and you can name one beneficiary. 529s have an account owner that owns the account, and then they're making contributions and saving for a beneficiary. And most five two nines plans allow you to change the name of that beneficiary at least once a year. And so in theory, during the accumulation phase, Ben, let's say the first 18 years of a child's life, You can contribute to 1529 and then split the account, do a rollover, rename the beneficiary to the second beneficiary, and then start distributing there, or just use one account for your full needs if that's what you really I will say. I
0: actually used different accounts for each kid because it was just psychologically easier for me.
2: So I can bucket them out. Yeah. And then you don't have to pick and choose, you know, who, who you love more, right? And which name goes in the account. But I'll tell you the By big By the way, reason, Bill, is
0: that two life crew on your phone right there? With the, <laughs>
2: I tried to mute my phone it Sounds during like a the YouTube call because I noticed flag, I got yeah. a notification. <laughs> and it started, yeah, it started rapping at me. So that, that's 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 New York right, for I you. Have
0: a, I have a follow-up for you. So in Animal yeah. Spirits this week, we were looking at college tuition. John, throw it up here. And over the past 10 years, college mm. tuition has actually lagged the overall inflation rate. It just that's kind amazing. of, it really flipped recently. But that's surprising to a lot of people who have seen college prices yeah. go up and up and up. And it's finally starting to roll over a bit. So Michael, my co-host on the show, said, wait a minute. What if I'm actually saving too much in my 529 plans for my boys? Is that a is that a problem? And I said, "Well, as Bill Sweet would say, you can eventually convert them to Roth
2: IRAs if you don't spend it all, yep. correct?" Yep, correct. Up to thirty five thousand dollars per beneficiary. Correct. With yep. his
1: yep. with his Fanduel account, I mean, does he really even need a five twenty nine? I don't know. <laughs> true. I think he's doing pretty
2: well. They don't have a Roth yeah. IRA option for Fanduel. Uh, but I did want to sneak in. You know, most five to nine planned accounts uh, are uh, per contribution, but some are per beneficiary. And so, Ben, that would be one reason. In the state of Georgia, at two thousand dollars per beneficiary, you get a higher tax deduction if you do that on a, like I said, per beneficiary basis. Taxpayers Maine, Ohio, Oklahoma, Virginia, Wisconsin, among others, would potentially. Benefit from having multiple five two nines if they have multiple kids. Okay, all right. I have
0: one follow up for you on the tax stuff. This more gets going to come out, but what's what's like the biggest two two or three big points of the new tax legislation that passed last night that that will like make sense for people?
2: Yeah, for individual taxpayers, to be honest, Ben, not a lot, uh, particularly if your income exceeds let's say fifty or hundred thousand dollars, because most of the individual changes had to do with uh, refundable child tax credits. So if you have a child and you're in slightly lower income, you get a higher tax refund potentially. Um, Most of the changes on the business side had to do with bonus depreciation and R&D credits, and they're relatively wonky. It's not a headline in my view. Uh, But the headline for me is that why is Congress – mucking with the tax code retroactively to 2023 uh, in the month of February. That would mean to be the question of potential dysfunction. Uh, people are filing tax returns right now. So I guess just as a policy question, why are we doing this uh, a year after the fact? It is crazy. Uh, that there's no confusing. line in the sand on this stuff that you can yeah. go back backwards. Yeah. Well, uh, Congress makes the laws around here. Are so. tax
0: professionals like you are supposed to plan ahead if you're changing the rules after the fact.
2: I mean, that's the thing, and they continue to cut IRS funding, frankly, and th- that might be a political priority for some, but what it means for the rest of us is it- it's it's more difficult to file a tax return. You're right, Ben, if you've filed a tax return already, uh, you might there might be some additional refunds that you won't be touching for six to eight weeks uh, because Congress is mucking with the tax code very, very late in the year. So we'll see how this all lands out. It's going to be the Senate, and then it needs to get signed uh, by the president to law. But yeah, uh, this is a moving target, and uh, you get it live here in NASA Compound.
1: Also, on the topic of taxes for our new people here and young people here, I find a lot of people don't understand, but you can still be contributing to an IRA for 2023, this far into 2024. I just just
0: topped off my SEP IRA for 2023 this month.
2: That's great. So look into that. Not to brag. Retroactively, yes. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, April 15th is the IRA contribution limit for tax year 2023. And you're right, Duncan. Oh, wow, uh, we got so much more time. Surge.
0: But that means yeah. if you put a 2023 contribution in now, you get 2023 stock market returns too.
2: <laughs> Not <right>? quite. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> ah, okay. yeah. Time machine, we're still working on that. Can I get a can I get a ruling on you guys? Uh non-alcoholic beer during the day. Is that is that a no or is that how does that how does that land <laughs> I for love you guys? it. I'm just curious. I walked by the, the NA section in the store this morning and uh it's getting bigger and bigger. Yeah.
1: That's a good. That's a good question. Uh,
2: yeah, I don't know. know. What does it favorite? say about me? That's what I'm curious about. For you, guys. I mean, I you're gonna get just, judged because people will think it's real. But
1: yeah, it's, it's kind of edgy.
2: You know, it's yeah. kind of like I live on the edge. Yeah, I like it. We're changing like it. the tax code this week, guys. I'm living on the edge.
0: All right. Uh, yeah. I, sure.
2: Have at <laughs> it. <laughs> I approve.
0: <laughs> I don't know. All right. Thanks to Bill Sweet, as always, for being our resident tax. Good to see you in New
2: York this week, Ben.
0: It was fun. I was in New York for a couple days, got that extra guys day live and in person, new compound and friends tomorrow. Uh, remember email us, ask the compound show at gmail.com. Thanks for all the people in the live chat as always. And leave us a comment or question in YouTube, like subscribe, all that good stuff. And we will see you next time.
1: See you everyone for listening to Ask the Compound. All opinions expressed by Ben Carlson, Duncan Hill, and any of their guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.